You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. I once had someone say something that really stuck in my brain for one reason or another, and that was that you believe that you have done just about all that you can do when your child reaches the age of 18. You figure that you've helped them navigate some of the worst things that will happen to them when they were very vulnerable. We talk a lot, too, about jobs that are underpaid and overworked, and parenting is certainly at the top of that list. When you are a parent, you are almost always the bad guy to the child or children in your care and seemingly can do no right. And then... They grow up, and they move off, and they live their own lives. It's such an important job, as all of us know, in more ways than one, to be a parent. Sadly, today, though, we are again going to talk about a child who committed the ultimate crime of murder against her own mother. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 99 of Gone But Never Forgotten. She murdered her mom, who she loved very much. The murder of Brenda Powell by Sidney Powell. Sidney Powell was born on March 21st of the year 2000 to her parents Brenda and Steve Powell. Brenda and Steve had met in 1995 and were married in November of 1996. Sidney would be their first child, and then they would also have a son, Andrew, on September 12th of 2003. The Powell family lived in Akron, Ohio. Sydney would attend St. Sebastian's for her elementary and middle school years, and she would later attend St. Vincent St. Mary High School in Akron, Ohio, as well. Throughout her entire schooling career, Sydney put up excellent grades and was seemingly a model student. In high school, Sydney also played soccer for all four years of high school, and she also played one year of lacrosse as well. She graduated high school with a 3.8 grade point average, which is excellent. The family would travel together to check out various post-secondary schools for Sydney, and they wound up settling for a smaller school, the University of Mount Union, which was located in Alliance, Ohio. The family seemingly chose Mount Union because it was a smaller school and a smaller campus, and also because it was closer to home, ultimately only about one hour away. 
Sydney, for her part, was very excited to spread her wings and go to university, though she was a little bit down on herself because she did not yet know what her ultimate end goal was after school. She didn't know what she wanted to specifically do with her life yet. It should also be mentioned that because Sydney was such an excellent student, she received a scholarship when she applied at Mount Union. Steve said that they received at least 25% off of Sydney's tuition because of the scholarship. And so, in September of 2018, Sydney embarked on her post-secondary education, and she chose to live on campus at Mount Union. While she was away at school, she stayed in very close contact with her mom, Brenda, because the two had a very strong relationship. Then, at the start of Sydney's second year at Mount Union, she was placed on what is called academic probation because of her grades in university. Her GPA had dropped all the way to 2.2. Having always excelled in the area of her grades, this was undoubtedly a shock to Sydney on some level, and she made the decision to not tell her parents that she was on academic probation. The family did not have access to Sydney's grades, as that is something that needs to be opted into by the student for privacy reasons. As such, Steve and Brenda were not aware on any level that Sydney was struggling. In fact, Sydney came home in the summer of 2019 and she didn't let on that anything was wrong. She worked for the summer with the Akron Rubber Ducks baseball team, working in their kids' zone, and she never said a word about bad grades, academic probation, or anything at all being amiss at school. After that third semester, in December of 2020, Sydney was suspended from the school and was unenrolled because there was not any change to her situation. However, Sydney went back to school in January of 2020 and reportedly lived in hotels, still letting on to everyone else that she was attending school. She even would later say that she was still attending some of the classes with her friend Lauren Curry, who had been her best friend since high school. The only inclination that the family had that there may be something going on between Sydney and the school was when Steve attempted to log into the school system so that he could find out what the balance owing was for Sydney's semester, and he kept getting refused from the system. Steve then asked Sydney what was going on with the app, and she told her dad that it was an issue on the school's end, and that she would ask someone at the school about it. And then came March 3rd of 2020. On March 3rd, just like any other day, Steve got up and went to work, and then he received a call from Mount Union saying that Sydney was no longer enrolled at the school. Steve was taken aback by that news, and he asked how long that had been the case for, and the school said that Steve would have to speak to Sydney directly about that because they were unable to share that information with anyone else because of privacy concerns. Steve then received a notification on an app that the family used for location that said that Sydney was at the house, which was unexpected. 
Steve, knowing that a conversation needed to be had, left his phone at work so that Sidney would not see that he was coming home, and he left for the house. Steve says that when he arrived at the home around 11 in the morning, and it was just he and Sidney who were at home. Sidney told Steve that she was actually still enrolled, and that she had just gotten herself into trouble recently, over the past couple of weeks. Steve says that he remembered telling Sidney that everything was going to be okay, and that as a family, they would work through whatever was going on. He told Sidney not to run away from her problems, and he said that everything would be okay. Sidney expressed to Steve that she was upset because she didn't have her life together or really know what she wanted to do with her life in school or beyond that. She felt like all of her friends had passed her by and she was overwhelmed by the fact that she, quote, didn't have her shit together, unquote. Steve said that he also suggested that they call Brenda because she was better equipped to handle situations like the one that they were facing, namely what Sydney should do next and calling the school to find out what was going on. Steve then did call Brenda, who said that she would come home and Steve left to go back to work. Once Brenda was home, she seemingly talked with Sydney, and then she texted to Steve to tell him that she had left a message at the school for a call back. She also wanted to know how much the check should be for for the refund from the school. While at work at 12.41 p.m., Steve texted Brenda again, this time to find out what she had learned from her chat with Sydney. Unbeknownst to him, though, things had gone down and were going down at the house at that time. At the house, seemingly Sydney and her mom had a conversation about everything that was going on with Mount Union, and seemingly that conversation escalated. A call came through from an employee at Mount Union, and evidently it was Sydney who picked up the phone and pretended to be her mom. The employee said that during the call he heard a lot of screaming, and then he heard a thump, followed by louder screaming and more thumps. At that point the call ended, and the employee tried to call the house back twice more, but when nobody answered he made the decision to call police for a welfare check. At 12.51pm Steve received a call from Detective Kenneth Deese to let him know that he had heard a call over the radio and that there was an incident potentially at Steve's house. Steve then tried to call Brenda and Sydney to see if he could figure out what was going on, and he didn't receive an answer from either call. Then, three minutes later, at 12.54 p.m., Sydney called Steve back and she said that Brenda was on the phone with the school, which was obviously a lie because the employee at the school was the one that had initiated the welfare check in the first place. Steve told Sydney that the police were on the way to the house and that is when Sydney's demeanor changed on the phone and she started to speak frantically and hysterically. She told Steve that there had been a break-in at the house and Steve called Detective Deese back and told him that the call was legit and told him that Sidney said that there had been a break-in. When first responders arrived at the scene, they found two women who had seemingly been involved in some kind of incident or altercation. 
When Steve arrived at the house, he saw Sydney before she was placed into the ambulance and said that she was lying on the ground and in rough shape, seemingly mentally and physically. He said that he had never seen her acting in the way that she was on that day. Brenda was in the worst shape, and she was taken to Cleveland Clinic Akron General Medical Center to be tended to, and she would ultimately die from her injuries. Sydney was taken to a different hospital to be checked and monitored. It would later be ruled that Brenda's death was, in fact, a homicide caused by injuries endured in the incident by blunt forced trauma and multiple stab wounds. She was indeed killed by her daughter, Sydney. Sydney had struck Brenda with a cast iron frying pan and then stabbed her nearly 30 times with a steak knife that she had got from the kitchen. Sydney did try at first to hold to the story that there had been an intruder. She said that uh, she and Brenda had heard a noise and Brenda had told Sydney to run away. Sydney said that she did run away but came back when she heard the screams of her mother. She said that when she came back, she found Brenda on the floor. Sydney would be arrested and charged with murder, felonious assault, and tampering with evidence, and she would be released from custody when her father paid 10% of the $500,000 bond. Steve has said that there were never any serious issues between Sydney and Brenda before that day, and he has said that they were incredibly close and had an unbreakable bond with one another. Steve also said that Sydney had never been to a counselor or anything like that prior to March 3rd of 2020, and that she had not ever expressed any concerns or shown any signs pertaining to mental health issues. He went as far as to say that he didn't even remember the two ever having a screaming match before this incident. When Sydney's bond was posted, Sydney did not go home, but instead she went to Portage Path Behavioral Health, which is in Akron, and their aim is to help diagnose and help people who are on the path to recovery from substance abuse issues and mental health issues. Sydney went there for an evaluation, and Portage Path subsequently recommended that Sydney go into involuntary psychiatric care, where she would be from March 7th to March 16th. While in that care, Sydney would be diagnosed by two different health professionals with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a mental disorder that is characterized by disruptions in thought processes, perceptions, emotional responses, and social interactions. Schizophrenia is typically persistent and can be incredibly disabling. When Sydney was released from the psychiatric hospital, she, was, she went to stay with Brenda's parents, and that is where Sydney stayed for the duration of time that she was out on bail. During this time, Sydney and her family obviously were looking for some answers. Sydney was being treated with a previous diagnosis for epilepsy, but one of the things that the family discovered when seeking other opinions was that doctors would ultimately say that Sydney did not have epilepsy, and in fact she had been suffering from schizophrenia, likely for some time.
when Sydney started to see a psychiatrist, the psychiatrist diagnosed her independently, also with schizophrenia and PTSD. And Sydney would enter a trial and error phase where she was stabilized on medications designed to help her. Over time, Sydney kept in close touch with her doctor, and they managed to level out her medications. Once the dosage was right, everyone seemed to agree that Sydney was seeing a drastic difference in her health. One thing that I do want to mention here is that it is a proven fact that there, it is very rare for people who suffer from schizophrenia to act out violently in any way and against anyone. Steve, for his part in court and under oath, would say that he did not believe that there was any chance that Sydney would ever commit the crimes that she did on her own, though, especially over a situation or a discussion that was going down on the house on March 3rd of 2020. The trial would begin on September 7th of 2023. Finally, after a lot of back and forth and disagreement over the mental health of Sydney, both in the present and, of course, at the time of the murder, Sydney would enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. As a part of the lead-up for the trial, Steve would repeatedly ask for the prosecution to not pursue murder charges against Sydney. He said that he did not know how Sidney was going to be able to cope with it all, or even how he was going to cope with it all. Steve's sole intention seems to be on keeping his family that is left together, and also on helping Sidney to get help and an improved quality of life, regardless of what that looks like. The trial would go on for 12 days and essentially split into two parts. The first part of the trial was obviously focused on the crimes, the evidence, the facts, and everything that happened on March 3rd. The second part of the trial was focused on the defense trying to prove the insanity plea and the prosecution trying to prove that Sidney was mentally aware at the time of the murder. The prosecution believed that Sidney had shown that she was mentally aware at the time when she switched between weapons, going from assault with a frying pan with the clear intention of stabbing someone 26 times in the neck. The prosecution also believed that Sidney was malingering. Malingering is the fabrication, faking, or exaggeration of physical or psychological symptoms with the end goal of getting out of something, whether that is work, jury duty, or sentencing for crimes like these. The prosecution believes that Sydney is competent enough to serve her sentence in prison. On September 20th, 2023, after nine hours and 23 minutes of deliberation, the jury would find Sidney guilty of two counts of murder, one count of felonious assault, and one count of tampering with evidence. And that is where we presently sit. Sidney is set to return to Judge Kelly McLaughlin's courtroom on October 28th of 2023, and that is when the judge will decide whether to have Sydney serve her sentence at a mental health facility or in prison. When that verdict comes down, I will certainly run a short update episode to close out the facts on the case for now. However, in the meantime, 
What do you think about this case? I am usually one of the first people to decry things like temporary insanity pleas because I do generally feel that a person that does a crime needs to serve their time because there is still ultimately a chance that the same thing could happen again. However, this case, for whatever reason, seems to hit me a little bit different. This case shows me a father who clearly knew his wife and his daughter better than anyone else did, and he doesn't understand how things escalated in the way that they did. By all accounts, the relationship between Brenda and Sydney was very strong. So, for me to see a father essentially crying out on behalf of his daughter who took the life of his wife, that means something. We actually had a different but similar case here where I live when a family tried to save a man from a murder charge because he was drinking and driving and his friend, their son, in the car had died as a result of this other young man's choices. However, the family didn't want to see two lives essentially ended. In the end, the judge and jury did find guilt for murder. Will this and should this be the case here with Sidney Powell? It's essentially a known fact that many people use this kind of defense to try to avoid prison time, but I think too that we live in a world where we do need to recognize that we know more about mental health struggles and we know that things like this can and have happened. Do you have to trust the father in this case and some of the health professionals that this was not his daughter? Or, for you, even if you do believe him, does it matter at all? Do we see a major difference between a mental health ward or a prison? Please, chime in on socials. This is a current case, so I believe that there should be lots of opinions on it. We know we have murder. We know Sidney Powell murdered her mom, Brenda, on March 3rd of 2020. We know that she's been judged guilty of those crimes by a jury of her peers. So, what do you think should happen next in this case? Let me know. And of course, if you like the show, please hop on over to Patreon and become a full-fledged goner and a part of the show by supporting what you hear here. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can assist in helping me spread the word and offset the costs of running this podcast. I appreciate every little bit of help that the podcast does get. And of course, I look forward to having each and every one of you goners back here again next week as we explore more crime and discuss more cases. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I hope that you continue to be better. Thank you for listening.